0: IndieCast is presented by UpRox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode, we review new albums by Built to Spill and Afghan Whigs. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. The best thing about him being a podcast host is that he feels like a podcast host. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I really
1: feel like we should have saw it coming that Harry's house would be this year's daddy's home. I mean, gosh, how much how 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 much how much mileage have we gotten out of this guy? I feel like our Uproxx higher-ups are going to be... You know, pounding on their desk, demanding like Harry Styles' content, like their pictures of Spider Man or something like that.
0: Well, yeah, and there's also the the contingent of our fan base that is upset that we're going to be talking about Harry Styles again (laughs) in this episode. But look, we we can't not talk about him. This story with this movie coming out. Don't worry, darling. Which. I can't believe this movie isn't out yet, because I feel like we've been hearing about it for months, but we're still like a few weeks away from this movie dropping. But there was a bunch of news this week, because the film premiered at the Venice Film Festival, and it was like a new story every day, seemingly, with this movie. There's the controversy with with Florence Pugue, the, the leading lady, she apparently has a a beef with the director olivia wilde because olivia wilde and harry styles they hooked up during the filming and the timeline in terms of you know was she still with jason sudeikis at this time <laughs> hey god we're this is very us weekly i'm sorry to be leading with this but you tell me what else has been that, going on this week and we'll be more than happy to cover it <laughs> the thing is is that you know you you referenced daddy's home we haven't had a good album cycle in a while that was generating fun things to talk about all of the album cycles lately have been very smooth very professional you know just peerless execution on the part of publicists and pr people and all that don't worry darling is the closest thing that we have to a train wrecky album cycle and you have the biggest pop star in the world harry styles like spitting on chris pine allegedly both parties denied that there was spit going on if you want to go online you can look at the video uh from the venice film premiere where it looks like harry styles is spitting <laughs> into the lap of chris pine people have dissected this over and over again you know the Zapruder film has been invoked many times in reference to I this video i could not
1: wait to see how you're going to pronounce Zapruder because i don't know how to pronounce it either
0: <laughs> i think it's Zapruder. i feel like i've heard that uh, set out loud. So I think I, I think I, I think I nailed that one. By the way, last week, do you realize that you said Roger Goodall instead of Roger Goodell? I must have. Did you notice uh, that? I did not think of that at all. <laughs> wow,
1: you've been holding up.
0: <laughs> well, no, like because people were tweeting. Because I, in the moment, I noticed that, but I was like, ah, uh, you were in the middle of a point. I didn't want to interrupt you. People were tweeting at us about <laughs> that. So I just, you know, a little ombudsman here. I just want to acknowledge that uh, uh, at least one of us will acknowledge that that happened last week. But anyway, you know, in the intro here, I referenced a Harry Styles quote from this press cycle where he said something like the thing that he likes about Don't Really Darling is that it's a movie that feels like a movie. And people were roasting him for that, even though I know what he means. uh, They were roasting him for that. There was another quote where he was talking about, how music for him is personal but when you're acting it's as if you're playing somebody else that was another harry styles quote <laughs> that's a great
1: quote, quote. that's <laughs> like that's like a lou reed type quote like if lou reed was like trying well, to be funny he would say that
0: it's very all the snow i just go back to all the snow the character from forgetting sarah marshall i mean this whole dynamic between styles olivia wilde and jason sudeikis it's very real life forgetting sarah marshall except jason sudeikis is not a loser. He's a Emmy award winning, very good looking, successful actor, comedian. Uh, But I don't know what's fascinating to me about all of this, like Harry Styles backlash that's been happening lately is that it, it does show how, you know, in the music world, he's been treated really with kid gloves. I mean, people have been very in the media, been very generous to him, very worshipful of him. And in the movie world, which is a bigger world than the music world and, and much gossipier and, and bitchier and all that stuff. <laughs> he's been getting roasted to a degree where even I think it's a little unfair. Like some of the things that he's been, the people have been making fun of him about this week. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great fodder, but some of it I'm like, okay, ease up on Harry Styles here. You're going a little too far, but I don't know. I, I've just been loving this story. I, I hope this movie never does come out and maybe it never will because it feels like it should have already been out, but we're, You know, we're still a few weeks away and people just keep talking about all these micro controversies.
1: I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I love how you point out that the movie world, like, we think sometimes, like, the music world is, like, super bitchy and insular, man. You can get off so much more worse things if you're, like, on movie Twitter. Like, sometimes I have to, like, check in on movie critic Twitter just to see how bad it could possibly get with music. Like, they have absolutely no qualms about roasting people, largely because I think, you know, like, movie stars, movie directors, like, they're celebrities. They're, like, millionaires. Whereas, you know, making fun of, say, like, an indie rock band, I mean, I think, you know, uh, like, making fun of an indie rock band, it's like, yeah, this could hurt their bottom line. Like, if you get free shots at Harry Styles. And by the way, like, I, I just got to if we have any doubts as to like the extent of this person's influence, I went to Barnes and Noble this weekend and there is, I counted it had to be at least 10 different magazines that had him on the cover, not just like, you know, Rolling Stone or Us Weekly, but like magazines that are entirely about Harry Styles. Um, I kind of just wanted to pick one up. It's like, are these recipes? Are there ones where there's just padding? Um, I'm fascinated about like who is buying this? Because he seems to be positioned more as an adult pop star rather than like a teen idol.
0: Well, I, I'm wondering, in the same Barnes & Noble, did you see any magazine covers with Doug Marsh or Greg Dooley on the cover? Like, <laughs> did, did you see any of that? Because that's, that's who we're going to be talking about in this episode. I just wonder, like, do we have our fingers on the pulse of culture or at least the culture of Barnes & Noble uh, at all? We,
1: we- we definitely, we, we, we definitely do not, but you know what? Like, I imagine that most of the Barnes & Noble uh, patrons are pretty interested in what we have to say about these two uh, longstanding 90s institutions.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited to get into it, but before we get to that, we have to uh, get into our mailbag segment. And thank you all again for writing in. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to read this letter. Because I feel like it's like directed at you. like it's not intended to be directed at you, but this might be a chance for you to make a confession to our listenership. So I'm gonna read this question. It's short and sweet. It comes from Stephen and he's from Mount Gambier, South Australia. is it, would that be Mount Gambier? I don't know the uh, that sounds more French than Australian, but uh, yeah, you got me. I don't know. Anyway, Stephen, great to hear from you. I don't know if, I think we've had other Australians write in. Australia is a great rock and roll country.
1: Absolutely. They always go hard at Coachella. That was the one thing I had noticed. It doesn't matter if it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. If you have like an Australian band up there, like there's going to be like hundreds of people waving Australian flags and just going hard all day.
0: Yeah, just just mainlining Fosters like at 10 in the morning, (laughs) getting ready for those. Early afternoon slots. They're ready to go by the time, uh, well, Australian <laughs> band. Like, who? We we're we, Gang of Youths, although they're not really yeah. there anymore. Tame and
1: Paula? Tame I don't even think of them as Australian anymore, though. So
0: You got uh, Courtney Barnett. You get the the Courtney Barnett set there at the festival. You got all the Australians coming out. Cut uh, copy.
1: It, <laughs> cut copy.
0: Is uh, King Gizzard from Australia?
1: I want to say they are. Yeah. They got 3 albums dropping. I love that. They announced 3 albums this week.
0: We have to uh we're going to have to talk about them at some point. They'll be an interesting topic because I feel like we are on the same page probably with them. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about them.
1: Uh I I respect the hustle. I love the fact that they just put out music time and time again and that like they the, they're like one of the few bands that I can actually say like I know people in real life who don't really keep up with like indie rock, but they like them. Like people who are totally stoked about like psych fest and levitation, like that King Gizzard is like festival headliner at this point. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. They play Red Rocks. They, they headline at Red Rocks and these huge uh, outdoor venues here in America. They're big. Yeah. I respect the hustle too. I have not yet found an album of theirs that I really love. their music kind of goes in one ear out the other for me but they're putting out three albums (laughs) like this year and they might go more you know they're they're, they're still you know when they after they drop these three they might have like another seven uh in the tank so uh you know their albums are like buses if you don't catch one you'll catch the next one so I'm hoping one of these buses I'm going to get on and want (laughs) to stay on
1: I was going to say, like, New England weather or something like that. If you don't like the weather, just wait 30 minutes. Is
0: that you what know. they say about New England weather? I haven't heard I that one. I think they do, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's get a le-
1: uh, we're going to get a bunch of letters from people in, like, you know, Maine and uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, saying that I've completely misrepresented their uh, region.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like, New England weather, it's just volatile there. It's You know, you're getting sunshine and then it's snowstorm the next hour. I don't know. I haven't heard that one. But, yeah, New Englanders... We definitely have a lot of New Englanders out there. Write in uh, and uh, hit, it up, hit us up with that. Um, let's get into this letter. I'm going to read this to you. This is from Stephen. He says, proud to be amongst your most southerly listeners. Yeah, that probably is as far south as IndyCast uh, international community goes. Uh, I just want to ask, who has the squeaky chair? <laughs> it adds a great aesthetic. Cheers, Stephen. Uh, I feel like Steven is addressing something here that has been part of our sonic tableau, if you will, <laughs> for the entire run of the show, is, is that there are occasionally squeaky chair noises that echo throughout the episode, uh, almost like a Greek chorus, if you will, uh, commenting on what we're talking about. Ian, do you want to, do you want to address this? Yeah, I mean, it's totally my chair. And I wonder, you know, I
1: I wonder often, like, how much of this stuff gets picked up? Does Brian, like, edit it out? But you know what? Like, we've kind of ran with it trying to do, like, a big Thief circa UFOF two-hand style production aesthetic where, you know, you hear uh, all the room sound and all the cuff sound effects. Like, we really think that it provides this... ASMR, like you get to live inside, like we want you to live inside this podcast. And you know what, maybe like what we'll do is like we'll add more, like maybe I'll have the fan running because like I don't have the fan running and it's like 90 degrees already in uh, San Diego today. Or maybe like in 2023, like I'll get a new chair, one that's stationary and, you know, we'll get complaints about like how we've gotten too slick and sterile. Right,
0: exactly. It's like, this is the early... Elliott Smith albums, and then if you were to get a a soundless chair, it would be <laughs> you know the figure eight period. You know, Rob some people,
1: Schnaff chairs. Exactly.
0: Get a Rob Schnaff chair. People would be like, I, this is good, but I, I miss the self-titled record. You know, <laughs> I maybe there's a happy medium like either or type thing where it's not quite as squeaky, but there's still some of those squeaky noises. I mean I do feel like We can't really change it now because this is part of the show, and uh, it would just change the atmosphere of what we're doing here if you didn't have this squeaky chair. I do like the idea that there's times maybe where I'm saying something that you find really objectionable, and you're biting your tongue, but... You're you're sifting in your in, in in your seat, and like the squeaks are <laughs> like expressing the Salamanca
1: that. Dude, in like uh, in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, like this is my version of ringing the bell.
0: Exactly. So people can tell. Okay, Ian's not talking, but you know Steve is again making fun of Maddie Healy, and Ian's really irritated by it because just <laughs> it's squeaking like hell over there. <laughs> It's, by the way I want you yeah, cuz you've made another reference to how hot it is there in San Diego. So you don't have air conditioning in your house? Oh, we do have air
1: conditioning, but if this was on, you would definitely hear it.
0: Oh, okay. So you yeah. are you're sacrificing. You're just like sweating <laughs> buckets right now. Like yeah, you, you know, this just is Bruce Springsteen style, like <laughs> I'm right. sweating through my shirt. Yeah. Uh,
1: you're like yeah. Patrick
0: Ewing in the NBA finals. <laughs> game game 7 <laughs> uh, so against, Wait a minute.
1: You, you, I did a boss reference, and you brought up Patrick Ewing. Man, yeah. what a role reversal!
0: I know we like to sh- we like to shake it up here. It's like when you knew the title of the Sticks record, you know. <laughs> I then I'm obligated to make a reference to, you know, Patrick Ewing playing the Houston Rockets in the '94 NBA Finals, you know. Then I, and sweating a lot. I feel like Bruce and Patrick Ewing are like two great go-to references for sweating. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is there like another great sweater? out there that you could you could reference that and people would know what Uh, oh yeah that's that's a great sweat reference there's got to be other ones
1: yeah write us in mailbag (laughs) indycast at gmail.com
0: we should do a thing on like the sweatiest indie musicians that could be an episode you know sweat core sweat core uh let's get to our list of topics for this week uh like we said at the top of the episode we're gonna be talking about built to spill and afghan wigs they both have new albums out today And I guess before we get into each record, let's pull back a little bit. It is interesting to me that these two bands are being paired up in this way. Because on one hand, they are both, I would say, beloved 90s institutions. They're both survivors. I mean, Afghan Wigs had a break where Greg Dooley was doing other things in the 2000s. And then he revived the Afghan Wigs name in the 2010s. Built to Spill has just consistently been Built to Spill uh, over the course of like 30 years. But it is funny to me because I look at Afghan Wigs as being this um, very stylized, horn dog, <laughs> flamboyant type band and Built to Spill being this very sort of wide-eyed Pacific Northwest. Nothing overtly sexual about it at all. Just you know, there's, a, there's a sweetness to Built to Spill, beauty to it. Um, and yet here we are. They're both together on this day putting out records and they're both indie rock lifers. I feel like people that like one band probably like the other.
1: Yeah. And they're both on sub pop. I think a
0: bit big day. Oh, in Seattle. Right. oh, I didn't realize that I knew built the spill was, I didn't know Afghan wigs were on sub pop now.
1: Yeah. So, um, and you know, when we're talking about like how they somehow have aligned, um, we have to think back to, I think it was 2018. They toured together, um, which, We, at IndieCast, we just love these things like Summerland and Just Like Heaven, where, you know, the passage of time narrows the perceived differences between genres and bands. Like, we spend so much time in the current day trying to, like, you know, suss out the, you know, the narcissism of small differences between, like, shoegaze and shitgaze or whatever. But, you know, to have both these bands together, um, like... Pretty much all of my real-life friends from the age of 35 to 45 were at this show, particularly ones in, like, the uh, sober community. I guess if you are that age and went through an Afghan wigs phase, you've got some amends to make. Um, And it was just so funny to see uh, the kind of difference between demeanor in these two bands. Because, you know, you got Greg Dooley up there uh, just kind of doing, I got a dick for a brain, and then, like, you know... (laughs) Doug Marsh, like, it, not hitting the notes at all, asking if, like, trees experience love or something like that. But it, you know what, like, they, but over the 30 years, they've kind of towed that line between major label and indie. They had, like, a peak around the same time. Um, and, yeah, I think it's fair to say that, like, this is going to be, a bo- like, a BOGO type thing at the sub pop store. If you get the new Built to Spill album, you're probably going to want uh, the new Afghan Wigs album or vice versa.
0: Well, and we'll get into this, I think you and I differ a little bit on which album we would pick up at the Sub Pop Store, if you could only buy one. I feel like you and I aren't, we're, we're, like we would maybe buy it together to get the discount, but then when we're <laughs> leaving, we would each take our respective record and go on, on our merry way. But we'll get into that in this episode. Uh, let's start with Built to Spill. the Spill. The, they have a new record out today, it's called When the Wind Forgets Your Name, it's the ninth. Built to Spill studio record of, of original material. They put out a Daniel Johnston tribute record a few years ago, but we're not counting that in, in the lineage here. This is the first, let's say, proper Built to Spill record in seven years. And um, I guess let's talk first about just our personal interaction with Built to Spill before we talk about the new record. I actually published a story this week on Uproxx where I interviewed Doug Marsh, and we went through all the Built to Spill records, and it was a really interesting interview. He was really candid about what was good and what was not good, and what he had his heart into and what he didn't have his heart into. And <laughs> And it's kind of what you would expect him to say, but it was interesting to hear him uh, confirm it uh, when I talked to him. But I'm just curious, like, what was your first interaction with this band?
1: So... I think back to, like, I want to say, oh, yeah, I heard like perfect from now on because, you know, that was like a major label album. But I think back to my I'm very interested to suss this stuff out because when I when I was a when I voted for the uh it was 2009 Pitchfork did a best 90s songs list. And I just saw just there was such a tremendous difference between the experiences of people who were like 18 at that time and 22 or like even 20. So. Um, Yeah, I was in my first year of college um, and, you know, I thought like I knew shit about music, like I thought because I watched MTV a ton and, you know, read Rolling Stone and Spin front to back, like I knew things about like how shit actually worked. Turns out like I did had no real concept of indie rock whatsoever. And so the same guy, uh, the same massively influential person in my life who recommended Placebos Without You, I'm Nothing in the first semester in uh the second semester in the early t- 1999 he recommended keep it like a secret so that was the first Built to spill out my heard, and to this day probably still my favorite you know because it, it's like the most it's the tightest it's the most tuneful it's the most kind of like angsty in its way it's sort of like their bleed american so um yeah and from that point forward i bought the live cd uh and i think from that point i like worked backwards and um you know also forward as well so Again, this is was kind of like a best case scenario for a major label built spill album in that, like, it you know it not it 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 didn't foreclose the possibility of me discovering their indie years. So,
0: yeah. So uh, to your point, you know I'm a couple years older than you, so my engagement with them is a little bit different. You know, I went to college from '96 to 2000, so to me, Built to Spill was fixed in my mind as. Like, one of the quintessential bands of my college years. Because that period of time, it coincides with, arguably, their two biggest records, which are 1997's Perfect From Now On, and, as you mentioned, Keep It Like a Secret, which came out in 1999. Those were both on Warner Brothers. Uh, the, the first record on Warner Brothers was was Perfect From Now On. I remember hearing about uh, their second record, There's Nothing Wrong With Love, which came out in '94. I feel like a little bit before perfect from now on came out and it was definitely one of those records that like, I wasn't aware of when it came out and it really came to signify like, this is what indie rock is, you know, that this is a band that exists under the radar. It seems a little noisier and not as slick as alternative rock, but it's still melodic and pretty accessible. So I remember, like, Perfect From Now On being kind of a big deal when that album came out, just because There's Nothing Wrong With Love was really beloved and a really strong record. And Perfect From Now On, I think, is still the album for me that I go to the most with Built the Spill. Like, if I were to say, what's their masterpiece, I would say Perfect From Now On. I think there are people that would say Keep It Like a Secret, and there's also people that love There's Nothing Wrong With Love. I think there's no question that those three records are... The power center of what Built to Spill does. It's funny too with Built to Spill to me because, and this is totally in my own mind, this does not exist anywhere else, but in my own mind, there is a mini rivalry between Built to Spill and Neutral Milk Hotel because <laughs> Neutral Milk Hotel was the other, I think, big indie band of the late 90s at least in my little enclave in Eau Claire you know people that were listening to this kind of music like those were the, t- the big two records and I feel like you know like in the airplane over the sea was the one that really became the big record you know the the, the, the canonized record and Perf- perfect from now on is like beloved I mean that that's also in the canon but I guess in my own mind, there's like a rivalry between those two records, and I feel like the praise that in the airplane over the sea gets should go more to Perfect from now on. Like that's the album that should have been topping that Pitchfork '90s albums list. Like wasn't in the airplane over the sea number one? It was like number one or number two.
1: I it think. was up there. Um, the '90s uh, OK Computer was number one. I think it. Uh, there was uh, Loveless was up there as well. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, or maybe like a pavement album or two, but got I like I, I think we just need to like kind of stop right here and like pivot in this episode to like an oral history of like Claire slash Appleton's like indie rock <laughs> discussions in the late nineties. I need to know more. Um, but yeah, I I always thought of like built a spill as being compared more towards like you know bands like Death Cab or Modest Mouse, like that was the rival, if not rivalry, like the most comparative point because you know like. As you were saying, like Doug Marsh, uh, you know, continued to make records for 30 years and, uh, you know, Jeff Mangum has not. So I think that's kind of solidified the legend of In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Um, and also I think maybe there's just like this sense of, um, you know, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea being kind of outsider art in a way that you know, connects and resonates with people uh who seek out indie rock but i also think it's very fair to say that there's nothing wrong with love it's up there with say crooked rain crooked rain um as the embodiment of what like if someone were to ask hey what is 90s indie rock i would put that on
0: yeah i would i would too and and i think the thing with built the spill Is that there's no cult of personality really, like with Doug Marsh, in the same way that there is with Jeff Mangum or even someone like Stephen Malkmus, you know, like where people really identify with the lead singer and there's this idea of who that person is. And Doug Marsh doesn't really have that. He's just a guy in this band, you know. I think people who like Built to Spill, they they think he's cool. They like his voice. They like his guitar playing. But people don't really spend a lot of time, I don't think, thinking about like what Doug Marsh does over the course of his day in the same way that they did about like Jeff Mangum or again, Stephen Malkmus or even like Robert Pollard, like all these like nineties indie rock people. Um, I'm curious how you feel about the rest of the catalog, because again, I think it's pretty firmly established what the, the three best records are and, and fans will put them in whatever order they want, but I don't think anyone is going to put a different record in their top three. Like, other than those three. Um, One of the things I thought was interesting when I talked to Doug Marsh was he talked about the record Ancient Melodies of the Future, which came out in 2001. It was the follow-up to Keep It Like a Secret. And he basically said, my heart was not in this record. (laughs) That, like, I was bored with alternative rock at that time. I wasn't interested in playing the guitar. You know, I brought these songs to the band because I felt like I had to put out a record because of my contract like he had some misunderstanding that i guess he had to put out a record every two years or something which wasn't the case he could have waited more time but that seems like a record that that's like the dividing line in the in the catalog right i mean you have the classic period we haven't mentioned the debut ultimate alternative waivers which came out in 93 that's also like a really good record but it seems like Ancient Melodies is like, okay, this is where a lot of people probably dropped off. I would
1: say that this album, you know, to the degree an album like that could exist in 2001 is like their version of like Come On, Feel the Lemonheads or File Under Easy Listening. Like if there, if you CD stores were still a thing uh, to the same degree in 2001, like that's what Ancient Melodies of the Future is. Uh, it's an album I think a lot of people our age bought and didn't love. Now, mind you, I kind of love this album in my own way because, you know, I spent 17 fucking dollars on it at a time where I did not have $17 all that often. So I was going to love this album no matter what. And I appreciate that your interview with Doug brings this stuff out because, you know, as much as I want to romanticize the artistic process and think that like, bands are like, you know, fully in the tank when they put out a record, sometimes they half-ass it. And you know what? Like, I it it felt like uh, I could breathe after 20 years that, you know, maybe my opinion on Ancient Melodies of the Future is the one that Doug Marsh himself has. And yeah, from that point forward, and maybe it's because I was out of college after that point, like nothing that Built to Spill did there. Like, I was kind of an a la carte person, from from that point forward like i remember um you in reverse the one that came out in 2006 um my experience with that album is inextricable from the leak that had like who is mike jones ad-libbed over that did you did you get that leak back then
0: you know that sounds vaguely familiar (laughs) that's uh, which is such a bizarre thing The who is mike jones thing i think yeah i think i
1: had that yeah, I mean, like, now, for, for our younger listeners, like, back in 2006, the these things called albums might do something called leaking, where <laughs> you could hear them on the internet before they were supposed to come out. Like, this is around the same time that you could hear Return to Cookie Mountain and, like, with um, Wolf Like Me as the lead track rather than I Was a Lover, but... Um, yeah, from that point forward, like built to spill albums were like welcomed Uh. you know, there'd be a song or two I'd like, but you know, I'd never be able to like truly invest myself in it. It was like, you know, like a TV show that I could check in and out of, um, and you know, not feel too strongly about it. Like maybe I'd be compelled to review one and drop like a 7.0 on it and then forget about it completely.
0: Yeah. You know, one, one thing that Doug Marsh said in an interview, which I I'm sure he believes, but I don't think lines up with anyone who actually listens listens to this band, like, their experience with this band. Like, he said that every Built to Spill song is an anomaly, you know, that there is no quintessential Built to Spill sound. And it's like, really? Come on. It's like his, <laughs> his voice and his guitar playing are so distinctive that even though there's been different people that have come in and out of that band, there's a through line with the records where they're not radically different from one another. And in a way that's a blessing because you know, you talk about you in reverse i actually think that's a legit comeback record the first song on that album is going against your mind which i think is like one of the great built to spill songs like i'll put Absolutely. that, that the, the album itself i don't think is as good as the first three or those that the first three but those core three records but that song can stand up to anything that they've done in the past and i think the record overall is quite good But the albums that they put out after that, I think, like you said, they're all like 7.0 or so (laughs) records. You know, 7.0 to 7.5. They're all good and they're all enjoyable when they're on. But because of the Built to Spill formula, you always feel like, well, if I want Built to Spill, there's there's those three records. And you're not going to really need to hear anything else. It's going to be lesser iterations of like what those three records are. So that's the blessing and the curse of having such a distinctive uh, sound is that All the albums are consistent, I think, but you're also going to have a hard time topping what people consider to be your classic work. Um, Which brings us to the new album. Because I will say that this record, I think, is their best since You in Reverse. Like, if I were going to do a top five Built to Spill records, you'd have the core three in whatever order, You in Reverse, and I think you'd throw this one in there. I think it's a pretty strong record. And it, it surprised me actually how much I like this album, because again, like you said, I like Built to Spill, I will always listen to anything they put out, but I am usually listen once or twice and then I'm done. But I've been enjoying this record quite a bit, I think there's actually some like, pretty strong songs on this record.
1: Uh, I would say that, like, I wouldn't put it above There Is No Enemy if only because, like, Hindsight is one of my favorite built-to-spill songs and nothing, like, it wouldn't matter if, like, you know, There Is No Enemy had, like, Hindsight and nine songs that, like, totally sucked. Like, the fact that it gave me Hindsight makes it uh, inevitably better than, you know, the the newer one. By the way, I think we just kind of have to point out that the title of this album, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Compared to Afghan Wigs, How Do You Burn? I mean, boy, does that does that really spell out the difference between these two? Yeah, I mean, with this one, um, you know, I think it's... it's I, I, I've come to realize through this album that it's probably impossible to write a bad Built to Spill song. But it is very possible to write, like, Built to Spill by numbers. And that's kind of what this album feels like to me. I'm not mad at it in any way. But, um, you know, I feel like there's just something kind of missing maybe it's like the tempos are too similar or that you know some of the guitar solos happen where you expect them to or I don't know maybe I'm just like exhausted by the built to spill sound but uh, I gotta ask and I'm not like putting you on blast or anything like that but one thing I do find out is that particularly with like older artists when I interview them I tend to like the album more uh, is there like any component, do you think there's any component of that? Like, have you experienced that in your career as a writer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean. And, and there probably is an element of that. It is also an element of just having revisited all these albums. And, you know, again, like when you're listening to these records, I, I, I do think that, I don't think they've made a bad record. I think all their records are really enjoyable. The question is, how sticky are they? Like how, yeah. how much do you actually want to go back to it? And that's the question. Uh, that can only be answered over the long haul. I mean, I've been immersing myself in the catalog here in recent weeks, so I think that certainly probably influences my opinion a bit. But having revisited these other records, I will say again, I think that the new record is quite good. And you said that you can't really write a bad Built to Spill song, I don't know if Doug Marsh can write a Bad Built to Spill ah. song, but I think there's a lot of other bands that have written Bad Built to Spill songs. Like, this is a band, and I, and I said this to him, I, because you know, he always talks about, like, I'm not a good singer, I'm not a good guitar player, and I was like, you know, a lot of bands that have come from your part of the country, you know, the, like, the, like the upper western part of America... I feel like Built to Spill is, like, a touchstone for, like, what people emulate. And that's starting with, you know, you mentioned Modest Mouse. I mean, they were one of the earliest bands to draw on Built to Spill as an inspiration. And in a way, you could say that they surpass Built to Spill. I think that the peaks of Modest Mouse surpass Built to Spill. After their peaks, it gets a little rocky, but... You know, just his voice and again, his guitar playing. I think it's so elemental to like a lot of like crunchy guitar leaning rock music from that part of the country.
1: Yeah. And I also think that like we have to mention Death Cab for Cutie who, I mean, Ben Gibbard will all but admit that on the first two Death Cab for Cutie records, there's like just some like outright built to spill ripoffs. And, you know, I think that their um influence has I don't know, I almost think of it less as a Pacific Northwest slash Mountain Time sound as like a Philly sound because uh, there are like entire labels and scenes of indie bands these days who are more or less doing there's nothing wrong with love fanfic. I mean, I don't think anyone's really trying to do perfect from now on. Like that's a very hard record to emulate, but um, it's built to spill just kind of endures because in some ways it's like easy to sound like built to spill but you know doug marsh i i guess he's like a very self-effacing dude in that like uh he might not be like a virtuosic guitar player but like the way he voices chords and riffs it's like you play that and it's like i want to sound like built to spill and plenty of bands have done just that which in a way makes me appreciate built to spill more um in the same way that like you know even when i go back to like older pavement albums uh when you hear like the bands that they've influenced you appreciate the genuine article more
0: okay so i think i can safely say that i like this album more than you do the new one when the wind forgets your name but we're both fans of built to spill generally
1: i i i I am all for the uh built to spill extended universe
0: So I think we're going to have a reverse conversation now as we move into Afghan Wigs here, a band that I know we both appreciate, but appreciate in different ways. Uh, As we said before, these bands in a lot of ways are opposites, but they are in a parallel alignment at the moment. This is the ninth Afghan Wigs record coming out today. Again, it's called How Do You Burn? And it's the first one in uh, five years, so again, another long gap between albums. And Afghan Wigs, it's been interesting, because while Built to Spill has just continued on pretty much continuously over the course of 30 years, there was a break in the history of Afghan Wigs where you know, they start putting out records in the late 80s, they reach their peak in the early to mid-90s, and then there's a breakup at the end of the 90s, and then they come back as Afghan Wigs 2.0 in the mid 2010s and they've been putting out records pretty consistently ever since then um i know like you and i were talking a little bit before this episode you and i have different i guess first encounters with this band i'm curious like what how did Afghan wigs first come into your life
1: so they i have vague but like very true memories of like seeing the gentleman video on mtv once and I think I heard Honky's Ladder on Alt Rock Radio once and
0: And Honky's Ladder, that's from Congregation, right?
1: No, that is from Black Love. That that's from Black Love. Same. Yes. Also, like if it I, I don't wanna like distract from the episode, but like maybe take a four minute break and go watch the Honky's Ladder video <laughs> like this. I, I beg of you, like if you wanna see like what people were getting away with in the nineties and this like kind of post Reservoir Dogs, like, Tarantino time, go watch the fucking Hockey's Ladder video, or watch any of their live performances from the Black Love era, but, um yeah, I mean, like, I heard, I, I was aware of their existence, but, like, thought of them as maybe, like, an angrier urge overkill, or something along those lines, and um, you know, like I never felt much, they, they were like one of those bands that like would never show up on the best of the nineties list. Um, but I was kind of aware they were maybe on that B tier along with urge or like Grant Lee Buffalo or something like that. And so oddly enough, the first Greg Dooley project that I bought was his, uh, Twilight Singers project in 2000, because I mean, again, this was me in college. I was listening to any rock band that was like yeah, we're really influenced by electronica and trip hop now. Uh, I play that album a lot when, like, I couldn't sleep, and I don't mean that as a diss. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned like, yeah, Afghan Wake shut down, but there's this incredibly large galaxy of like Greg Dooley side projects and collaborations, and Twilight Singers uh, definitely holds its own. But that yeah, that was the first one I bought, and um, from that point forward. I only really got into Afghan wigs like when I start when I was like in my last year of college where like more or less things started to like fall apart for me, you know, like getting really into like drinking and like chaotic relationships. And that really put me in a position to appreciate stuff like uh, Gentlemen and more 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 specifically like Black Love in 1965, which are like the the, the latter two are like you cannot make those records in 2020.
0: Yeah, you know, for me, I, I have very vivid memories of seeing the video for Debonair uh, when I was in high school. And Debonair is one of the singles from from Gentlemen, their 1993 record, which I think is still, like, their most acclaimed record. Like, if you were going to, say, listen to this band, I know you would probably say Black Love, but I think the consensus would be go to Gentlemen first. That's, like, the definitive, certainly 90s Afghan Wigs record. And I remember... Uh, Getting that record, I had the cassette, and listening to it, and being really blown away by that record, and 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 "Debonair" in particular has always been a song that I loved. And the thing that stood out about Afghan Wigs in the early '90s was the sexual provocation of that record. You know, Greg Dooley on that album, he's writing about like the worst parts of the male psyche. You know, and this was at a time. Where you had bands like you know Pearl Jam and Nirvana, consciously trying to counteract the you know macho stances of like early you know of like 80s rock and 70s rock. It was a it was a time of like sensitive rock stars. And Greg Dooley offered this counter programming to that. Where I, he is a sensitive guy, I think. But he there was a thing with Afghan Whigs at that time, like where they were playing with sexual imagery and racial imagery in very provocative ways. And there was something very kind of disturbing about it, like for me as a teenager, Uh, like the frankness with which, uh, you know, Dooley wrote about these things. And it just looked like a portal to like the adult world, like like the sort of seedy side of the adult world uh, that I wasn't quite prepared for (laughs) <laughs> when I heard the record like, I, I, like in a way I was just thinking about this I liken it to like the first time I saw Taxi Driver when yeah. I was like when I was 14 and I remember thinking like I'm too young to be watching this you know like Travis Bickle going to porn theaters and seeing like Swedish adult films and just really <laughs> gross stuff and I was like I can't wrap my head around this man like I this is i i thought i was a worldly teenager but i'm like i there's still an innocent side of me that does not want to be exposed to these things and gentleman was like that in a lot of ways as an album and i have to say you know you talk about the galaxy of music that greg Dooley has made and there really is like a lot of music that he's done gentleman to me is the only record that's like hit square on the on the bullseye like that's the album that uh I think, stands head and shoulders above the rest. And like the other records, you know, because you have Black Love, you have 1965. Uh, 1965 came out in 1998. And then all the records that they've done recently, I've checked in on them and I appreciate them all. But I don't know, Gentleman to me is still the one. And I don't think it's even that close, really, in their catalog.
1: Oddly enough, that's like the one that doesn't hit for me. Um, like, I think you're correct in that the consensus is that if you're like, if there's one album that defines their legacy, it's Gentlemen. But I think of that as, as I, I watched this movie recently called uh, On the Count of Three, where uh, these two guys make a suicide pact and like one of them puts on Last Resort as they're about to do it. And the one guy's like, yeah, uh, I don't like to listen to. Uh, to music about the thing that I'm actually doing—it's a little on the nose. And gentlemen's kind of like that for me. I appreciate the more sidelong, um, uh, view of you know chaotic male psyche from uh, Black Love, which I, I I know this is like mad trivial, but I re- I vaguely recall reading in Guitar World Greg Dooley saying that Black Love was loosely conceptually based on the O.J. murders. <laughs> Um, and then I got to interview Greg Dooley in like 2014 when they came back, and he's like, "That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard."
0: So, <laughs> but you you probably did read that. That sounds like something he would do. I mean, the thing with Greg Dooley is that I find that conceptually he comes up with really cool ideas, or at least interesting, provocative ideas. But then musically, it's not quite as interesting to me. You know, I I, I like, like I would love to talk to him about his albums. Maybe more than listen to them. Does that make sense? I think that's a fair thing
1: because look, some aspects of uh, Black Love and especially 1965 like don't really hold up that well. Like I imagine if I were like several years older when those records came about, I would have thought maybe they were a bit over the top. Like because yeah, like you were saying, Greg Dooley plays with a lot of like you know hip hop and like black exploitation tropes that. Um, you know don't ex- don't exactly hold up all together that well and yet at the same time when you look at their recent work like they performed with Usher at the Fader Fort in South by Southwest sounded really good they cover Frank Ocean it sounds really good like this guy um i think nowadays has like a gravitas that like makes their forays into like hard soul and R&B like hold up a lot better than when he was just like this a angsty 20-something dude from Ohio. Um, I You know, like, I, I put on these records when I find myself wanting to be in a mood, and I don't think that they are as aspirational as they used to be. But I think compared to Built to Spill, at the very least, like, In Spades, the record they put out in 2017, great record. I think it's really up there with some of their best work. The Twilight Singers, I think, Blackberry Bell, uh, which came out in 2003, um, made... At times, I say maybe that's like the best dually end to end project, which I think he kind of agrees with as well. Yeah. And the Gutter Twins album he made with Mark Lanigan, there's like a long relationship between those two. Just very, just a very, very, very expansive catalog, all of which centers on this strong uh, personality, which I think in some ways makes it much harder to incorporate afghan wigs as an influence because you can sound like built to spill without you know bra- thinking of doug marsh you if you're gonna like try to make an afghan wig song you can't be greg dooley so uh i think that maybe explains why you don't see them as much as a touchdown for indie
0: rock yeah and i think also you mentioned uh how he's often Drawn on, you know, soul influences, hip hop influences. And I think the reason why it it translates well is that he's always come at it from a sincere place. You know, it was, there was never an element, I think even in the 90s, of like, we're a white band doing this hip hop song, and isn't that funny? You know, because that was the thing that existed in indie rock for a while, that it'd be funny for a white rock band to be playing black music which you look at that now and it's it's so stupid and offensive but i don't think afghan wigs were ever coming at it from that direction so i think that's why a lot of that stuff holds up even when it is i think pretty provocative um you you mentioned in spades being a record that you really loved i'm curious how you feel about this new record how do you burn because when i was listening to it i was a little surprised by how rocky this album is because i think one of the strengths of in spades was that You know, it was an Afghan Wigs record, but it felt like it didn't sound like other Afghan Wigs records. It felt more experimental. It felt like, okay, Greg Dooley is going into new places here. And it's it's pretty interesting for that reason. Whereas this album, it it made me think a little of like the recent Spoon record, Lucifer on the Couch. Is that what it's called? Lucifer on the Sofa is what it's called. And which is like Spoon's rock album. You know, it's more guitar-heavy than something that, that than like the other records that they've done recently. And you know, I was I, I was listening to that Spoon record again recently, and I it, I felt again the way I felt when it came out, where I was like, I don't really like Spoon in this mode. I actually prefer the previous two records, where th- they were a little more dancey, a little funkier, and more electronic. I felt like that actually works better for me with Britt Daniel's voice than them doing like the return to rock thing. Cause I don't really think of them as like that kind of rock band, even at their peak. I I always felt like they're coming at it from like a slightly Dutch angle, you know? And that's, Mm -hmm. what's cool about a record like kill the moonlight. You know, it's that's not a straightforward rock record. It's more of a deconstructionist version of a rock record, but this Afghan waste record, I don't know at times it made me think of like Queens of the stone age, you know, like it had that kind of vibe to it to me. Which was fine, but I don't know. I uh, that's not exactly what I want from Greg Dooley. I don't think
1: the first single. You're correct. Uh, make you. I'll make you see. God is. Uh, that's the first thing I thought of. Queens of the Stone Age, and you know, maybe thinking of it as like a tribute to Mark Lanigan, like you know, two two degrees removed. Um, but what surprised me about like everything that came after that song, like I'll be I'll be honest. Like when I first heard that single, I was not thrilled with that direction either. Uh, But it turns out to be kind of like a a fake out, I think, on this record. Um, Maybe it's just like the cover of this that reminds me so much of like the Twilight Singers uh, albums like Blackberry Bell and Powder Burns, uh, which came after it. Um, In that, yeah, there's like this kind of dirty rock element that you're talking about. But I think there's it's a little bit more experimental. You hear like some drum machines going on. Uh, there's like some ballads happening. And I think that's where Twilight Singers holds up better in some ways than Afghan Wigs is that they were able to integrate more of the balladry and, you know, the trip hop stuff that Greg Dooley is always interested in. Um, I think there are like at least a couple of these songs that will, that, that enter the Afghan Wigs canon. Line of Shots is really good. Uh, Catch a Colt, another great one. I like the collaborations uh, that occur on this. And, um, it just sounds to me, um, even if like you don't think it's as strong, I guess, as the built to spill record. Um, I think that like Greg Dooley to his immense credit is always trying to do something different. Or just like advance the advance the idea of what Afghan Wigs really is, whereas like Built to Spill, you can kind of you kind of know what you're getting into, and so I. Well, he's, be... but he
0: I will say though I mean Doug Marsh is trying to do something different. I mean this latest record he recorded with a different rhythm section. It's these two guys from the Brazilian psychedelic rock band, and I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation. <laughs> uh, it's like Aura O R U A anyway so he's trying to do something different i guess we can argue about like whether he succeeded again i think just because if you have doug march singing on it it's gonna sound like built the spill but i mean i think he is trying is my yeah
1: i think he's trying and also that like you you were kind of intimating that maybe he doesn't exactly like he's maybe not like the best uh uh He's not the best critic of his own work. He's like saying like, oh, I don't like have a great voice. I don't know how to play guitar. It's like, there's no quintessential song. He's trying, but I think Afghan Whigs has proven to be like a more versatile band.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, and again, like you mentioned in spades, you know, built the spill house and made a record like that, you know, like where I would, like, if you put that next to gentlemen, they are distinctly different in a way that like, if you put when the wind forgets your name next to there's nothing wrong with love you know, they're much closer together uh, than those Afghan Wigs records would be. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: All right, so I want to talk about this uh, band from Arizona. Um, not something I get to say very often. <laughs> Uh, their name is Holy Fawn, and their new album is called Dimensional Bleed. Um, they came on my radar in 2018 or so with Death Spells. Um, it kind of hits those, uh, it kind of hits that, like, Death Heaven, but make it more Sigur Ross sort of sound, where some people might just call it as, like, Death Gaze or Black Gaze, or, you know, there's maybe some emo elements in there as well. But they did eventually get to open up for Death Heaven, I believe they played with Greed Death as well, and uh, this album has been highly anticipated in its uh, in its little corner of the universe for quite some time. And Dimensional Bleed, I think, really um, establishes them as like a band that is doing this particular thing as good as it can be done in twenty twenty. If you're, I can imagine this like playing really well with the uh, sort of people who. Whose favorite bands of the past 10 years are like Nothing and Dive? You know, if you have like sleeve tattoos but also like to listen to Shoegaze with ethereal vocals, this is the sort of uh, album that you that that's there for you. So, uh, highly recommend it. Um, maybe it's not the greatest record to listen to if you're suffering through perhaps the worst heat wave in 100 years in California, or maybe it is, maybe it's the it's where the heat is just so overpowering you just submit to this awesome force of nature. So that's uh that's what the Holy Fawn record does for me.
0: So I want to talk about a band from Chicago named Bitchin' Bajas. Now, by that band name, you might assume that this is like a Jimmy Buffett cover band playing this week at the local Margaritaville restaurant. <laughs> but they are much different than that. Uh, they are a band that I would describe as like the midpoint between like Philip Glass and the Grateful Dead. There's elements of like ambient music here there's also like a jam band aesthetic going on but basically it's an electronic group that uses a lot of loops a lot of repetition it's the kind of music that at first can seem very low key to the point where it wouldn't grab your attention but over the course of like long songs and on the new record i should say it's called baja oscillators and I hope I pronounced that correctly. They're, they're, I'm, I'm really tempting fate by even recommending this album. But this record, it has four songs. Each of them are about 10 minutes long. And it just creates a spell and a mood when you put this record on. The songs, they build over time using very minimal elements. But it's through the repetition that there's this hypnotic quality that takes hold. And it really is the kind of music that will send you into yourself. Like, if you are looking to meditate, I think that this is the kind of record you're going to want to put on. Because it does, again, it puts you into a state of mind where it's only you and the record. It, very, it, it clears away everything else. It's, like, it's that kind of record. Really powerful without seeming to do a whole lot. Like, I actually saw this group play live earlier this year. And it's not the kind of band that you would think would be good live because, again, there, there is a gentleness to this uh, oftentimes. and it, It's not really music that is out to grab you. The band really has no stage presence to speak of. But, again, there's something about it that really draws you in. And, I'll again, I'll go back to that Philip Glass meets Grateful Dead. I think that that is a good comparison for this group. So, you know, I've been thinking, like, is this a band that I want to be stoned to listen to because i think it could be amazing music to listen to stoned but i also feel like it could send me into some dark places in my mind that i don't want to go to so that's something i still need to figure out with this band but again check out this record out uh the band is called bitchin bajas the record is called bahasolators they have other records too you can find them all on Bandcamp. definitely check it out
1: I think it's interesting that like both of these records, despite coming from extremely different uh, corners of the music universe, is kind of like on the same tip. It's like, yeah, this is very immersive, very dark, uh, could send you to some really scary places when you're high. I mean, maybe we just need like a and Baja's Holy Fawn tour a la Built to Spill and Afghan Wigs.
0: It could be good. I I, I feel like and Baja's would be more on the Built to Spill side and uh, Holy Fawn would be on the Afghan Wigs side perhaps because i don't know if they're dark exactly it's just again it's very ethereal music and just being hypnotized in general kind of scares me and there's a hypnotic aspect to this music where it could go either way you could have you could experience spiritual transcendence or you could be sent into like the darkest pits of your own psyche could go either way but isn't that what we want out of records that could send you either way i think that this record could do that for you so hopefully go check it out if that's what you're looking for. Thank you for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.